Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pillar 2 pregame show, our five-part podcast series, where we will be giving you a crash course on all things Pillar 2 just in time before it goes into effect in the first quarter of 2024. I am your host, Nick Tricarci, and thank you for joining us for Episode 2. If you didn't catch Episode 1, we had a really great conversation about how Pillar 2 works and our recommendations about how you can not only determine the impact to your organization, but also start planning for the implementation now. And remember, we want to hear from you. If you have questions that you want us to answer, we are planning on hosting a mailbag episode at the end of the series to answer those questions on the air. And you can ask us anything, Pillar 2, non-Pillar 2, it's all fair game. We just want to hear from you. And it's super easy to submit a question. Just go on the website where you found this podcast. There's a form you can fill out. The whole process will take less than a minute. All right, today we have a really exciting episode for you because we get to talk about how to make the Pillar 2 implementation process much, much easier. That's because Pillar 2 contains a transitional safe harbor that can save your company not only a ton of time and effort, but potentially some money too. We have a very special guest with us for this episode to explain all things safe harbor, how it works, how you qualify, things to watch out for. She's a managing director in our Washington National Tax Practice, has tons of experience with international tax matters, and is one of our firm's true thought leaders when it comes to Pillar 2. So Marissa Renson, welcome to the pod. It is great to see you again. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Every time I say your last name, I want to say Remsen because that's my <laughs> son's name. But as somebody who's had their last name mispronounced their entire life, I try not to defect other people. So <laughs> let's dive in because I think our listeners are going to be very interested in this episode. So Marissa, can you please explain this magical safe harbor to us? Yes. This magical safe harbor is what we call the Transitional Country-by-Country Report Safe Harbor, or C-by-C Safe Harbor. So this safe harbor applies on a country-by-country basis, and where a country passes one of three relatively simple tests, the pillar top-up tax for the country is just deemed to be zero. So qualifying for the safe harbor is extremely beneficial because it really dramatically cuts back on a company's Pillar 2 compliance obligation, and it's available for up to three years after Pillar 2 comes online. That sounds great. I've been using this football analogy to talk about Pillar 2, and this basically seems like a punt, you know? And uh, while punting is usually a bad thing in football, this is a very valuable thing because it can buy companies a lot of time before the full-blown Pillar 2 rules come online and they have more time to get ready for it. So you mentioned something specific in your response that I wanted to follow up on because I think it's really important. You mentioned this country-by-country report. And from what I understand, Pillar 2 actually makes you use this report in order to qualify for the safe harbor in the first place. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So each of these three tests of the C-by-C safe harbor is based on the group's revenue and or profit numbers for a particular country. And those amounts are taken straight from the C-by-C report. Okay, so I've got to ask, what is the C-by-C report? What is it used for today? Sure. So the C-by-C report is an informational form that provides certain financial information to tax authorities. 
basically gives tax authorities a big picture view of a company's tax and financial results around the globe and does it on a country by country basis. So tax authorities will take this report and make risk assessments about whether the taxes paid in their country are fair enough relative to the amount of activity or income in that country. So importantly, the C by C report does not itself result in any tax liability. Tax authorities are not allowed to look at it and make tax adjustments just based on their report. What tax authorities are supposed to do is just take a look at it and decide whether to take a deeper dive. Okay, so it's like a risk assessment tool, and it sounds like companies are currently preparing this country-by-country country report, sharing it with certain tax authorities. Yeah, I've been doing audits for a long time. We never looked at this country-by-country country report. I didn't even know it existed, honestly, until I started learning about Pillar 2. Is this something that's gotten a lot of scrutiny from the tax regulators? Yeah, so far, I would say no. We haven't seen a lot of scrutiny by the regulators, but it is increasing. We have seen some countries look at the report and then take that deeper dive and sometimes actually make transfer pricing adjustments based on the report, and that's pretty common. But it's been pretty rare to see regulators challenge the quality of the report itself so far. Okay, got it. So it's kind of this information-only report. Hasn't been subject to audit, hasn't really been challenged by taxing authorities, at least in terms of its completeness and accuracy, I'll say, to use an audit term. I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume there's some companies out there that haven't been giving let's say, an A-plus effort when it comes to preparing this report. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. So, well, companies have made a pretty good effort to get their C-by-C reports mostly right. We've seen a lot of areas where companies have just taken shortcuts. So, for example, companies might leave off some entities that they think are immaterial when really they should be included. Or companies might not break out branches or tax transparent entities correctly. Those require some extra work. And then the last big thing that we see is that sometimes companies uh, will just use consolidated rather than separate company financial statements. And that could actually significantly understate revenue for countries with a lot of related party income relative to what the rules require. Okay, because for consolidated, that stuff would be eliminated, but country by country, you have to show it on a pre-elimination basis. Okay. Exactly. So let's say a company's historically taken one of those shortcuts, or maybe there's other shortcuts out there that someone's done in order to prepare this report. Are they going to be able to use those C by C reports for pillar two purposes, you know, does pillar two require a certain level of quality before you can even use this safe harbor in the first place? Yeah, I think there's a real risk that they won't qualify. So pillar two requires that the C by C report be qualified by meeting certain criteria. So if the C by C report doesn't meet this qualified standard for a country, there's a risk that the country won't be able to satisfy the safe harbor. So, for example, if a company emits an entity or two from a country, it's possible that, that country would not have a qualified C-by-C report and Safe Harbor would just not be available. Yeah. Okay. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of companies out there that need to clean up the C-by-C report, which there's still time to do because the Safe Harbor will be based on 2024. And so there's time to get those reports you know, in shape to meet the Pillar 2 requirements. And the reason we're spending a lot of time on this is because it's really kind of a gating thing, right? If your C by C report itself is not up to par, you can't use the safe harbor. So exactly. step one is make sure that's good to go. And then, okay, let's take it from there. Let's assume somebody has a qualified C by C report. You know, you mentioned earlier that to use the safe harbor, you've got to meet certain tests. Can you walk us through what those are? Sure. So there are three tests. The first one is what we call the de minimis test. And this test is satisfied if the group's revenue in a country is less than 10 million euro for the year and its profits in the country are less than 1 million euro for the year. Again, those revenue and profit figures are taken right from the C by C report. 
one thing I just want to note here is that this is and test. Both revenue and profit need to be in the thresholds to qualify. We know that some companies, they see these numbers and they just think they can satisfy one or the other, but it is both. Okay, so that first test basically sounds like a materiality play. You know, if you've got a small presence, you might get scoped out. I got that one. What's the next test that companies should be aware of? The second test is a simplified ETR test. Now, this test is satisfied if the country's effective tax rate is above a certain percentage, ranging from 15% to 17%, depending on the year. So it starts out at 15% in 2024, then 16% in 2025, then 17% in 2026. So the numerator of the ETR calculation is essentially the income tax expense for the country as reported on the group's qualified financial statements, with one exception that excludes uncertain tax positions. Now, the denominator of the calculation is the country's profit as reported on the group C-by-C report. So this calculation uses two different sources of data, taxes from the financial statements and profit from the C-by-C report. Okay, so I imagine this one will be somewhat familiar for listeners, you know, in the accounting world, we're familiar with the concept of effective tax rate. You know, for book purposes, you take tax expense divided by pre-tax income. And this sounds pretty similar to that, albeit there might be some minor differences between what we would do for accounting purposes versus what this simplified ETR. But okay, that one makes sense. You've got to have an ETR above 15%, at least in the first year. And then what's the last test that somebody could meet? The third test is the routine profits test. This one is satisfied if the group's profit, again, as reported on the C-by-C report, is less than an amount referred to as the substance carve-out. And the substance carve-out is exclusively a pillar two concept. It doesn't come from the C-by-C report or financial statements. So it requires a new calculation. And essentially, the amount of the substance carve-out is based on the size of the payroll and tangible assets in a country. Okay, so substance carve-out, it's based on payroll and tangible assets. My guess is that this is really going to be more relevant for certain types of companies or perhaps certain industries. Is that all right? Yeah, Can you give us maybe a couple examples? Yeah, that's fair. I'd say that industries or companies that where it's most likely to be helpful is companies that have certain jurisdictions that are very labor or capital intensive. So think of companies with call centers or manufacturing facilities. It's also very helpful if there's a country that is loss making. So any loss making jurisdiction is automatically going to satisfy the safe harbor. Yeah, because clearly its income would be less than the substance carve out. And so you would meet that test. Okay. So just to clarify, there's three tests that could be met to use this safe harbor. Does somebody have to meet all three or is it if you meet one, you're good? Nope, just need to meet one. So typically companies will use the routine profits test for the lost countries, the de minimis test for the countries where they have a small presence, and then, then they'll focus most of their effort on the simplified ETR test for the rest. Okay, and we'll come back to that and maybe share some insights on how you might go about working on that simplified ETR test. Now I've heard something about this safe harbor being a, uh, one strike in your out rule. So we'll switch from football to baseball for a second. <laughs> what does that mean? One strike in your out. Yeah, this is a really important rule to understand. So if a group has not applied the C by C safe harbor to a country in a year where that country is subject to the pillar two rules, then the group can't qualify for that safe harbor in that country in any subsequent year. So again, importantly, the country only needs to satisfy the safe harbor in years where it's subject to the pillar two rules. So 2024 might be a pass for some countries. But once a country is in scope and fails to satisfy the test, it's just out for good. Okay, so let's say a country's in scope because, for example, it adopted the domestic top-up tax that we talked about in episode one, or it's owned by a parent that's in a jurisdiction that's adopted the income inclusion rule. So it's in scope for pillar two. 
at that point, it must perform these tests every year, basically, right? So just because they might qualify in 2024, for example, that doesn't mean they're going to be qualified in 25 and 26. Exactly. And, and once you don't qualify, you're out. You don't get another shot at it the following year. Okay. Yep. All right. So pretty important that companies understand that, I think, and maybe start forecasting not just 24, but 25 and 26, just to get an idea of how this might evolve over time as they start to plan their initial implementation efforts. All right. So let me just recap real quick before we move on to my favorite part of the episode. So we've got the safe harbor out there, which can basically delay the full effects of Pillar 2 for up to three years. Each jurisdiction must be separately tested to determine if it qualifies by meeting one of three tests that you talked about. Those tests must be performed using information from the country-by-country country report, which itself must meet certain criteria to qualify. And this whole process must be re-performed every year to remain eligible. However, if you qualify, it will save you boatloads of time. So. The juice is worth the squeeze, basically, is how I <laughs> summarize I agree. the, the C-by-C safe harbor. All right, so let's move to my favorite part. I'm calling it the coach's corner, all right? I'm asking my guests each episode to put on their coaching hat. And basically, if you were going to coach a company through this safe harbor component of Pillar 2, what advice would you give them? Sure. So I'd say the first step is to get familiar with your prior year C-by-C reports and how they were prepared. So if there are any deviations from the C by C rules that would disqualify the report, then the company needs to take some steps to make sure that it addresses any of those issues for 2024 where it's really important. And I recommend that companies don't just focus on compliance for Pillar 2 safe harbor purposes, but really take a hard look at the whole report as certain countries are going to require these reports to be made public in the near future. And they're just gonna generally get a lot more scrutiny in upcoming years. Then once the company has a good handle on their C by C report, the next step is that I suggest companies actually start running the safe harbor calculations to get an idea of which countries are likely to satisfy them in 2024 and 2025 and 26, and then which ones won't. So companies can do this using their prior year's reports or 2024 forecasts. The idea here is that if there are any countries that are in scope for 2024 but don't satisfy the safe harbor test, the company is going to have to do that full Pillar 2 calculation, and that can be very laborious. These Pillar 2 calculations require a significant number of adjustments to financial statement information. So companies really need to be prepared for that and have a plan now. That's a perfect segue for episode three, where we're going to talk about if you don't qualify with the safe harbor, what is the full-blown Pillar 2 calculation look like? But maybe just one thing on something you said there. Obviously, companies are going to need to do this in the first quarter of 2024 because they're going to have an income tax provision and they need to account for any top-up taxes as part of that Q1 provision. However, in Q1, you're not going to know the 2024 results by jurisdiction, and therefore, you're not going to know for sure which ones will qualify for the safe harbor or not. So like you said, it's going to be based on some kind of estimate or projection of the full year results. From what I understand, there might be a couple different ways to do that. You know, you mentioned historical, maybe you adjust that for some known items, or you do a bottoms up forecast, maybe you leverage your AETR process couple different ways to perhaps go about it, but I can promise this will definitely be an area where the auditor will be focused, not just on how you're developing your estimates, but also, as you talked about, Marissa, how you've gone about cleaning up that country-by-country country report to, to make sure you qualify in the first place. So we will dive into those issues in much more detail on a future episode, so stay tuned. Marissa, thank you for your time. As always, we appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. 
And if you have jurisdictions that are in scope of Pillar 2 but won't qualify for the safe harbor we just talked about, don't worry, we've got you covered there too. Make sure you join us back here for Episode 3 where we'll dive into the challenging new Globe ETR calculation and help break it down into bite-sized pieces. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we're social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV. 